0: Like 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 like
1: like 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 you have all made it to the dance. 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 You have all made it, made it. it. Like Coming to you from the X Access. It's John of All Trades with your host, John X.
0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 322. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, I've got Ed Vincent. Ed Vincent is the founder and CEO of Festival Pass, a cool startup that is a subscription-based service that helps you budget your entertainment. So basically what you do is you sign up for Festival Pass, you pay your monthly fee, you get a certain number of credits, and then you can either save them up or spend them on any number of events. And that's everything from concerts to festivals, food and wine fests, Film festivals, sporting events. They have 80,000 events on the site. And I thought, man, what a cool idea. And what Ed explained to me is that, particularly with younger generations, everyone's building a budget, right? I know what my rent costs this month. I know what my car payment is. I know how much I can spend on food. I'm going to put a little bit aside for entertainment. This is a good way of ensuring that you always do that. And then, if you see something cool happening, you can either spend all those credits on something really big, or you can go like, hey, you know what? I want to go check out this basketball game. That's not that many credits. And I say that as someone who just learned a Festival Pass and just recently bought a ton of concert tickets. Would have been neat to know about this before I spent all that money on that. Maybe could have saved some money that way. But you can get all the details at festivalpass.com. So go and check that out. But first, you should listen to this episode because... Ed and I have a really brisk, really targeted conversation. You can tell this is a guy who's got something to do. So I like shows like this because I got to bring it. We're both entrepreneurs. We're both on the go. We both have no shortage of things to do. So let's have a real chat. So we talk about everything from this launching in February of 2020. You can imagine the peril of trying to launch a startup a month before COVID shuts the entire world down. We talk about that. We talk about his history in live entertainment. We talk about how Festival Pass is different than other subscription services because some subscription services want you to sign up and then forget about it and then just leave that as a recurring charge in your credit card. Festival Pass doesn't exactly work that way. And most surprisingly to me, because I've been skeptical about things like this, we talk about NFTs. And they're launching an NFT that sounds really cool and actually sounds like it has a ton of benefits associated with it. So keep your eye on Festival Pass for that. Before we get to this week's episode... Got to pay some love to my sponsor, 4Degrees, the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Whether you're running a campaign, trying to reach people out in cyberspace or the real world, 4Degrees can put together a strategy and messages that will move the needle on your campaign. So whether you're doing a political campaign or trying to get your good or service in front of the people who need it most, 4Degrees not only knows the words to use, but where to deploy it. I've seen their work in action, and it's remarkable. They continue to win awards for what they do, and I'm proud to feature them on the show. The number four, D-E-G-R-E E-S. Now then, let's talk live events with Ed Vincent, founder of Festival Pass. He's episode 322 of the John of All Trades podcast, and his episode starts right now.
1: then that rolls into meeting after meeting after meeting and, <laughs> and then before i know it i bang out at two forty to go pick up my uh, other my younger daughter uh, these are assuming i don't have other meetings scheduled for sure it. um and then hang out and play with my daughter until she's got to go to some kind of after school thing and then i get back to get back to uh working again and hopefully grab a beer or a glass of wine because by then it's six or seven o'clock at night
0: totally yeah, it sounds very similar to mine how old are your kids
1: I have three. I have a 16-, 14-, and 9-year-old, all girls. Okay. Um, But the 14- and 9-year-old are here with me in Austin, and my oldest is uh, is, uh, in New York uh, finishing high school. Uh,
0: My kids are a little younger than that, so they're 7 and 5. And so my days are pretty intense, you know, with that, but they they do have before and after school care. So it's nice to have that covered, but I will say as an entrepreneur, one of my favorite things about it is the flexibility to actually spend time with my kids or, or it sounds like you're wired very similarly.
1: Yeah. So, so obviously if I had a classic nine to five job in some capacity, I wouldn't be picking up and dropping off my kids. We wouldn't be getting ice cream after school. <laughs> we wouldn't be <laughs> doing all the, the fun things you get a chance to do, but yes, I agree.
0: To me, that's like my favorite part. It's phenomenal that we get to do that. So this is Ed Vincent, and you are the creator of Festival Pass. Ed, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Tell me a little bit. Give me the elevator pitch. Let's start there uh, for Festival Pass.
1: I'll start by what it is, and then I'll tell you the context of how we got there, right? So every, every everything comes from you know uh, 20 years in the making as opposed to it just being an idea and launching it. So it's a subscription marketplace for live events. So effectively... Um, people sign up and they pay a monthly fee and in return they get credits and then they can use those credits to go to any of the 80,000 live events we have on our platform. Everything from any concert you want to go to, any sporting event you want to go to, any Broadway show, you name it. If if it's a live event and you're interested in going, we're likely to have it on our site. Wow. So there's a reason why we decided to do that. And, you know, and I think part of it is, um, you know, when you talk about the entrepreneurial journey, I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 years, um, was a banker until uh, 1999 when I left to start my first e-commerce company, um, built and sold that in 2001. And then through the 2000s, I had an agency, and that, the agency was an experiential agency, um, about 70 people. And we really – we brought a lot of big brands to really big, cool live events, and that was when I first started, like, getting – falling in love with live events, saying that there's something special about a concert or about a film festival or about a food and wine event because it only happens that once in the context of what happens at that moment in time with the people that are there uh, isn't replicable. It's, uh, it just is. And uh, so I really appreciate that. And then fast forward through my life, I uh, had a SaaS business uh, that I sold in 2014. And then I had a data and analytics company in the entertainment space. So uh, back then we had a ton of great um, big television and film clients like A&E Networks and AMC Networks and of course entertainment out of Canada and movietickets.com and I go on and on a bunch of film studios, et cetera. And what we did is we really um, helped build the infrastructure and the strategy in order to aggregate, um, enrich and uh, and, uh, activate a lot of data. And during that time, I mean, I'm not sure where most of your user base is from or listeners, or are they U.S.-based uh, or not? Yeah, but yeah. But if so, many many probably heard of a company called MoviePass. Sure. Um, so during the time I had my data company, we were kind of the, the known group within the television and film space to, to help large clients figure their data out. So MoviePass reached out to us and uh, and me specifically and wanted help. They were growing rapidly and fast. They had all this data and all these users and they wanted to know, you know, how do they monetize that data? What do they do with it? How do they organize it? And so I spent about 18 months uh, inside of MoviePass, um, you know, hired by, as my company, but personally was there three days a week as the, as the interim chief data officer. So I got, I got to learn a lot and know a lot about what, what to do and what not to do you know, when you're building. A, right. So there was a lot of interesting things I learned from that. And, you know, at, at the core, the business model was not the greatest over at MoviePass, but they did do a lot of things right. And I, I give I give a lot of people credit for the, the product market fit was there. Uh, the fact that they grew to three and a half million subscribers in a couple of years was fascinating. And then, uh, you know, even the way the data was, was came about uh it was deterministic data that, you know movie pretty much had the best data set in the country uh for filmgoers um because it was deterministic data uh, you knew who actually was at the film <laughs> <Right>. um <clears throat> whereas we spent a lot of time with other clients trying to predict who would be sitting in the seats when you uh, bought the tickets through cash through a credit card through fandango or through some other source right but um so, so all that led to me realizing that subscription is a Great model for most, especially for millennial and Gen Zs. And there's a better business model out there. And live events is a $200 billion industry. And um, there's a really unique way we can do this that far exceeds the aspirations movie pass out.
0: Sure. And we're coming out of COVID where, you know, things are opening back up. Um, And I I mean, I'll tell you, there's a lot to unpack there. One, I know the thing that I missed most during quarantine back in 2020, and I started to miss it very quickly was concerts. That is kind of where the rubber meets the road for me in terms of live events. That's like my favorite thing to do because you're right. It's an irreplicable experience, right? Where you're, you're together in this moment in time with a bunch of strangers all enjoying the same thing, maybe in your own way, but it's this shared experience that you can't replicate anywhere else. So that's phenomenal. Secondly, um, I'm fascinated by this sort of subscription model that that you brought up because I've had any number of, let's say, gym memberships uh, in my life, and you can call that uh, a subscription in a lot of ways. The one I currently have, and people hear me talk about it all the time, is Orange Theory. And one of the things I like about that is it's expensive as hell. So it compels me to use it, right? Where, whereas if I go to like a Planet Fitness or something and, you know, pay my 10 bucks a month, I'm likely to go or, or I have the temptation to go, okay, you know what? This isn't that much money. I don't really need to go. But now that I, I have some skin in the game, I go, I better use this thing. Otherwise, I'm just throwing my money away. So what I'm curious about is in terms of your business model, um, what is it about this generation, like younger generations, that have gravitated toward a subscription model, particularly for events?
1: Yeah, so the, there's many, many things to unpack there is, um One, they tended to grow up, the, especially millennials and Gen Zs, have tended to grow up in an environment where subscription – there's an available subscription for a lot of things in their life. The other thing that's pretty important is, um, and we have a lot of uh, data on this, uh, is the budgeting concept of how most millennial and Gen Z's end up living their life. So two, two things is we have uh, investors and advisors. One is the uh, kind of global expert in millennial and Gen Z's, a guy by the name of Jason Dorsey, um, written four or five books on it, speaks all over the world, Fortune 500 companies. He's both an investor and advisor to us. So he, he shared a lot of, um, data with us, really helping us figure this out. And one of our other investors sits on the board of a millennial uh, bank. So what happens often in this, uh, in, in these generations is that there's budgeting, right? So it's like, Hey, I know how much my rent or my housing cost is. I know much. Uh, I have X amount of dollars for entertainment. I have X amount of dollars for food. I have X amount of dollars for whatever. Uh, and that tends to be the psychology behind the, this type of group. And that lends itself very well to subscription. There's also the gamification of things. So especially with the, what we do is the idea that, Hey, if I budget a hundred bucks a month or 50 bucks a month for live entertainment, that's great. But now how do I get the most out of that hundred mm-hmm. uh, bucks? And then, you know, part of it is what can I do to get the most value? So that's what has lent itself to subscriptions in general. And then why our model is specific to, uh, it's a credit based currency, so it lets people choose once they get their monthly credits or annual credits, however they s- join, they can save them up and go to a festival that costs two hundred credits or they could go to their local concert hall that might be ten credits for you know a local band or it might be twenty credits for a college basketball game.
0: interesting so you're you're building in your entertainment budget in in a way that is predictable. Uh, As opposed to being like, oh man, this concert's coming. I better save some money for it, or like I'm going into credit card debt, that kind of thing. This, it's just sort of built in, and then when things come, you go, ooh, I need to save up credits for it. So it, I mean, it's almost like a different type of currency that you're talking about it in that way.
1: Yeah, it is, and and since different than some other places is you don't lose. It's not a a use it or lose it kind of thing. Is you get your credits and they roll over month to month. So
0: oh, interesting.
1: if if you if you paid for a ninety nine dollar plan you get ninety credits a month right so if you know in the first month you went to one show that cost you twenty credits the next month you'll get your ninety plus the seventy you had left over so now you have one hundred and sixty credits and now you might go to a concert that costs hundred credits
0: okay that's interesting to me because I know I brought up gyms and I know part of their business model is mm-hmm. hoping people sign up and become members and then don't come right because that's just going to be extra margin. For a gym, like you know, we there's less foot traffic, there's less wear and tear on the equipment, et cetera, et cetera. So, like that's like free money to a gym, but because the credits roll over, it doesn't sound like that's sort of built into the the way you guys do profit and loss.
1: No. So, so what's interesting? Uh, there's there's a lot to unpack here as well. Is that uh we we look at it as uh, we have a gross margin in our business, so we look to acquire those tickets uh, both from the primary and secondary market at X price, and we look to have a margin for the business to be able to operate the business yeah. so what happens is what we don't do uh, similar to a lot of secondary market players which you probably know some of the names sure they uh they charge a lot of money in fees um so one in particular um you know StubHub as an example usually charges about 65 percent in fees uh after compared to what the owner of the the ticket that is selling it gets so effectively those fees are, you know, a lot, right? So there's a lot of margin in those fees. So we never charge a fee. We just build our margin in in order to make enough to operate our business. So if you look at it this way, is we're willing to take less margin overall on our business because our uh, our users or members are willing to pay on a monthly basis. So our our revenue becomes predictable and recurring.
0: Oh, so yeah.
1: So if we had, as I'm just using business examples, if we had a $100 million business of recurring revenue uh, on an ongoing basis versus a $100 million business of transactional revenue where we may not know when the next transaction is coming from, uh, even if the margin is higher on the transactional business, the enterprise value of the company is going to be larger on the lower margin predictable business.
0: Okay. So it's interesting, too, because... You have two different interfaces here, then, with what you're describing. One is with sort of the member-customer-consumer side, and the other is with people who are throwing events. And I know, like, for instance, I have a city card. And occasionally, like, if I use the city card, it'll be like, you can buy these concert tickets before anyone else. You all, have you cultivated relationships like that with different festival providers or different venues or things like that to where that can incentivize your users? The
1: answer is yes, and that will continue to grow over time, right? So still being a startup, um, you know, we're continuing to build that, that volume and that, that, lo- that share to be able to have... Yeah, like a um, critical
0: mass, right, is what you're describing.
1: Correct, correct. So there's a couple of things. So, so the reason we have so many events in general is we've been able to cultivate lots of partnerships of ticket aggregators and, and we're able to, because at scale we can get it at wholesale prices, Therefore, we don't have to charge those fees, Um, but we continuously build ongoing relationships with primary um, sources, and primary really just means either the venue itself that's throwing it or the event itself. So there's there's a lot of players in events, so it's either the producer, the venue, the creator, the artist. So as we continue to build more and more of those primary relationships, we'll have more and more perks for our members that are exciting specifically for them. And uh, and remind me before we get off to talk about NFTs, because there's going to be a very exclusive kind of NFT that will get a ton of great perks.
0: Interesting. Were you able to lean on some of your history here? Uh, Like, I mean, I know half the battle with anything. And, And when you talk to college kids, they all complain about the same thing, which is everyone tells me to network and I don't know how to network. And so I always give them practical tips on how to network. For you, given your history in this space and you know the, the career that you've built for yourself, did you have a lot of those primary relationships already built? And how much did you lean on that network?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say yes and yes. Um, but I didn't necessarily come directly from the live events business itself. Right. Um, but very much the entertainment business overall and the media business. And so the answer is uh, I have a ton of um, relationships in the entrepreneur world, Um, having built and sold multiple companies, um, having been part of something called EO, which is Entrepreneurs Organization for 15 years as a global network of entrepreneurs. Um, And then even coming here, and I live in Austin now, and coming to Austin where, you know, live music and tech is, is kind of a hotbed, we've been lucky enough to get a lot of great investors and and, uh, advisors early on um, from some of the larger groups. So the answer is, is through those relationships, we've been able to network into some great primary uh, relationships. And I think that will just continue to get more and more over time.
0: I I suspect so. And what's interesting to me is speaking again of college kids, because I do public relations for a living and everyone thinks they know what uh, public relations is, you know, a lot of publicity that that's sort of the most visible part of it. And, People view it as sort of glamorous as, you know, going to restaurant openings and doing live events and publicity for well-known people and things like that. That's like a very small part of public relations. But I always tell them, I say, when you want to do something like that, that's A, very competitive and B, when you're starting out really doesn't pay all that well because it is so competitive. And I also tell them this, and this is something that they haven't realized and something I'm interested in asking you about. It's when you are working for things that are fun, whether they're festivals or whether you know, you're you working at, um, let's say, a ski hill or at a beach or something, you tend to be working when other people are having fun. And so you're conflating something you like to do leisurely with all of a sudden you're on the job. And you're on the job when you're surrounded by people who are either drinking or having fun or both. And it can build resentment if you're not ready for it. So I'm curious, you having experience in entertainment, is it ever tough when, when you're working on things that, that are ostensibly fun, that's when you're most on the job?
1: So I hear you. The answer is yes and sure. But um, I also believe that no matter what business you're in, no matter what job you have, you still have to uh, handle the functional aspects of that job. So you right. still have to do your job whether that is planning, whether that's finance, whether that's creative, whatever it happens to be. So if you have to do that job anyway, why not do it in an industry that you're more passionate about? So like there's tons of people that are passionate about health tech, me, not so much. (laughs) Um, but I think it's a really cool industry and I think it's awesome and amazing and it's needed. Um, but if I'm going to be doing, you know, a specific type of job all day, every day, um, I'm going to do it in something that has, that keeps my creative juices going. So it, I also find that there's um, an opportunity for work and play, even, even you know, not just being the founder, but being anybody that works in a, in a company, even on the PR level or whatever, back when I had my agency in the 2000s, um, you know, we helped build the, the Bale Film Festival. We had the Sonoma Valley Film Festival. We owned one down the Dominican Republic, which was the Dominican International Festival. and We actually owned it but all of our employees loves working those events because yes they were working but after you know they're on the clock for a little bit now they're in a place where they can go have a glass of wine and you know watch a film they can you know rub elbows with a celebrity even if they were doing it in the working environment um so anyway that's my answer no i i
0: think that's a good one too and it it's probably that's a more satisfying answer than I think I've gotten from anyone when I've asked them that because yeah, if you're passionate about it and it, for me, it's funny. I, I compare it to, I had a side gig one time where I was reviewing TV and I already write for a living, but you know, I was, I was being a TV reviewer. I go, I kind of like this format. I like criticism. I like writing this thing, but my problem was I was doing it in a, uh, in addition to my other job and not like as my primary job. So, You know, it's Sunday night. You're getting ready to settle in, watch HBO, decompress for the rest of the week. And all of a sudden, now I'm working again. And now I have to hand in these reviews on Sunday night. And I know, based on my job in PR, because, I mean, I I worked like 9 to 5, but then there would be events at night. So it was in addition to doing a standard 9 to 5 gig. Whereas what you're describing, there are times where, yeah, you're working all the time, but it's not like that is your primary job. It's not in addition to some other job you're doing. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. Makes sense. (laughs) So, okay. Building this up. So everything seems to be moving towards subscription model. I mean, I remember when I used to just buy like a disc of, uh, you know, Microsoft Office or something. And then I would just sort of own that. Now I pay whatever it is per month to have Microsoft Office. You mentioned generationally things seem to be moving that way. The younger you get, the more people are used to that. But in terms of standing up this business, what are some of the biggest challenges you've faced? Yeah, I mean,
1: well, COVID was obviously. Oh, first. good God! Yeah, <laughs> we launched this, uh, you know, about a month prior to the, the you know, COVID happening, and in, what, in like March Feb-
0: of, February 2020 is when you launched it. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Oh, good. Um, but uh, we were lucky enough to have some initial investors support us, and you know, I was also lucky not to have to go through the pain, you know, as an entrepreneur, half, you know, most of my friends are also entrepreneurs. So like, you know, they're all letting go staff. They were all trying to figure out, you know, how to um, shrink. They're going through all these things and we just didn't grow yet. So we just kept our small, our small group of uh, folks and we kept building out the technology, you know, obviously thought through what a pivot or wouldn't or could be or wouldn't be held true to what we believed would happen you know, and, uh, and I knew events would come back. I mean, it's just human nature Got um, to. and it was really just timing. So we had to wait it out, but it also allowed us to build the infrastructure and, and the thought process in order to get there. So uh, again, I think it's a silver lining in the long run <laughs> and all of the kind of big, huge players in the industry may have tried different models along the way, but because they were so worried about just keeping their core business intact, um, there wasn 't that much innovation going on. they were just trying to save their business so So now you know I, I look at it as okay we 're in 2022 We have eighty thousand events on the platform. Consumers are all starting to come back. Omicrons on the other side uh, now 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 is our time, and not only is it our time, but we 're ready. We have the technology built, we have the partners in place again it's uh, the biggest challenge was kind of getting through that, and now it 's really just uh, it 's go time
0: How much panic set in? when COVID kicked in in earnest in March, because I I can tell you, I was in Phoenix when it happened and I I was, I was in a bar literally watching the NBA shut down. And then that was like the first domino to really fall kind of culturally because we were down there. we were going to go check out spring training baseball that was canceled the next day. And then all of a sudden everything was shutting down. How much panic set in for you?
1: There's a personal side and then there's a business side, right? So, on the business side, it was frustrating, but I also won back then. We all collectively thought it was only gonna last a month or two. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> and then and there was gonna be a couple months, then it was gonna be maybe a year. So, had everybody said events are basically gonna be shut down for two and a half years, then, then maybe <laughs> Panic would have said it. But yeah, for me, I was living in New York City at the time, and uh, you can imagine New York City got hit pretty as it often does the hardest out of the gates. And, um, you know, it was real for me. It was, it was crazy when people throughout the country just weren't taking it seriously because it was so, I, there was a meat truck at the hospital, a block away from my house with hundreds of dead bodies. It it just is real. But I think over time, the more and more people learned and the more and more people understood it a little better, I think it had started at least for me, um, you know, taking away some of that fear and panic because at least we understood a little bit more about it. And, and then finally the vaccines helped a lot, et cetera. So I'm comfortable now in a place where we're a mostly vaccinated society in a place where hopefully we're over the most recent outbreak. And I'm sure there'll be more in the future, but at least at least we can manage through it and people can take the steps to protect themselves and still have fun.
0: Right, I mean, it seems more like, Endemic is, is where we're headed instead of pandemic. And, you know, the, the mitigation measures associated with that are going to be a little bit different and allow us to continue to live our lives, which, again, is reassuring. So, yeah, I'm 100 I'm percent with you. How complicated is it for you or is this just sort of a, a just one extra variable to deal with? But some concerts, some venues, some states, some municipalities have vaccine mandates how does that roll into your platform
1: yeah i mean we we've made a conscious decision not to ne- necessarily have an opinion one way or the other on it at the end of the day it is up to the venue of wherever it is to decide what that means right so we don't yeah. re- our members aren't required to be vaccinated or not it's if they buy a ticket <clears throat> the rules of the venue that is producing that event has the rules and it's uh, it's up to them to abide by the rules of the venue
0: okay so essentially you say we're a conduit for you to experience events. It is up to you to abide by the rules of the venue and you know as the provider not not the provider but you as the conduit you know just make sure everyone's aware like here's the policy of this venue here's the policy of this state Just go in with your eyes open am I summarizing that right?
1: That's correct right. yeah and, and obviously we're we're flexible and open that if somebody buys a ticket and then finds out later they they uh, aren't happy with some of the rules you know, we'll, we'll refund them. That's
0: fine. Okay. To that point. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that makes sense to be agnostic about that because you know, you're not policymakers. um, You don't own any any of this, but it's up to you to be a good business partner for everyone you're doing business with. Like, Hey, whatever your rules are, we're going to convey those to our members.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: Okay. That makes good sense to me. Okay. On a personal note, Ed, I'm curious, given that you've worked in live entertainment uh, and all sorts of entertainment now, uh, what are your favorite types of events to go to personally?
1: Yeah, I'm all over the map, and it's been this way. Even music tastes and everything. From going back, I just love live events, right? So, <laughs> especially here in Austin, we're lucky we got a ton of small venues with just amazing talent, which is awesome. So, I, I love going to a thirty, forty person, you know, show with an acoustic guitarist, and then I love going to a big festival. You know, whether it's ACL, I'm going to Okeechobee uh, next week. Nice. It's a festival down in uh, Florida, about fifty thousand person festival, um, mostly EDM, but <clears throat> Leon bridges is there. Um, n- numerous other people there. So it's a lot of good stuff. So I love that, but I also love sporting events. Like, um, you know, I've been going to Madison square garden, in New York city forever, you know, everything from concert to Knicks games, to, uh, Rangers games to, as long as it's live, like I don't watch baseball on TV, but I'll go to a baseball game any day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, baseball is best experienced live, uh, where, where you can sit in the sun, Crack some shells with your friends and uh, yeah. just tell jokes. Okay, so New York guy, uh, Knicks, Rangers. Who who are your guys? Who are your favorite guys?
1: You just named it. So Knicks, Rangers, Giants. It's, no, it's that simple.
0: No, but give me some guys.
1: Uh, oh well, one of uh one of the Rangers is an investor in the company. No kidding. Um, Jacob Truba. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you. I don't know if you're a hockey guy.
0: Colorado Avalanche. So yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So anyway, uh, Jacob's an investor in the company, and but out of that, I mean, I. I I don't follow it that closely yeah. in terms of uh, knowing all the other players and stuff like that. But uh, just always been a Giants, Yankees, Knicks, Rangers fan.
0: Awesome. Uh, okay, so last question for you, and then we'll do plugs. What is something that this company hasn't done or a type of festival or something that you want to expand into that you haven't yet? What's on the horizon for you?
1: Yeah, so, so I was mentioning earlier about NFTs, and it might be worth touching on that. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah that gets into some of the um, cool other experiences that were going to happen. So uh, whether your audience is into crypto or not, um, NFTs are very interesting. And th- the reason why they're interesting is not because it's a JPEG that people can buy and sell. It's because of the utility that comes with it. So we're we're working on something now that will probably be launched in about 60, 60 90 days at most, where it's a lifetime uh, VIP NFT to Festival Pass. So effectively... People will buy the NFT and the utility they get for owning that NFT. And then we're only going to sell 10,000 of them. And uh, basically every single year they own that NFT, they'll get a full membership, a founder's membership, a festival pass, which is worth about $1,200 a year. Um, so they'll buy the NFT and that that's a dividend. So for the, for as long as they own that NFT, they get, they basically get unlimited, not unlimited, up to $1,200 a year of events <laughs> right. that they can go to and, um, any, any event they want to go to. So that's the initial kind of utility. You know, If anybody understands NFTs, is uh, as soon as you mint an NFT, you can sell it in the secondary market. So you have the opportunity for, uh, to resell it on OpenSea or wherever you want to sell it. So the idea is you buy the NFT. It's an asset. You own it. And while you own it, you get a boatload of really great events you want to go to. And any time in the future, you can just resell it again. And it's highly unlikely it will ever be resold for less than the price you bought it for. Wow,
0: that um, that that is the coolest sort of utility or dividend that I've heard from an NFT yet. So kudos, hats off.
1: Thank you. Well, I agree, and ho- hopefully, hopefully, most things move in that direction. So people, because NFTs are so interesting and unique in the way they're structured through the smart contract, that makes it viable for so many businesses. But unfortunately, everybody thinks of it as just a picture of, a, of an ape or uh, right. you know, an animal or
0: something like that. Well, and I think you've had some bad actors in the space uh, up to this point that have done themselves a disservice in, in instilling faith in people about sort of the fidelity of an NFT. Agreed,
1: agreed. And, and then the other thing to mention is um, – because we're only going to ever sell ten thousand of these, um, it's this unique club, if you will, of uh, of the NFT holders and ownership. And then what we're going to end up doing is, you know, I don't know how many yet per year, but we're going to hold exclusive events only for the NFT holders. Um, whether or not we get a really famous artist to play a small venue of five thousand people, but every single person in that audience is an NFT holder. You know, there's going to be really special things that. You know they'll never have an opportunity to do anywhere else. So that's just again, it increases the utility of that NFT, so that more and more people will want to buy it, and the early owners will be able to sell it for a higher price in the secondary market.
0: Wow, man, very cool. I mean, you guys are doing. I, I really like the evolutionary thinking that you have going on here in terms of the way that you do live events. This is probably the best pitch for NFTs I've I've heard up to this point yet. And uh, man. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and getting to talk with you. I'm definitely going to keep an eye on it. Now's the time on the show when we do plugs. Ed, where can people find you? Find Festival Pass, whatever you want to plug. Please do it.
1: Sure. So festivalpass.com is the easiest place to go and just... Go to the site, sign up for free, and then when you're ready, you can move over to a paid subscription. Obviously, there you'll learn more about our evolution towards NFTs if you're into that and you're into crypto. You're going to want to be one of the first ones to get that NFT. Uh, And then personally, you know, mostly I'm on LinkedIn from a business perspective personally. Um, But, yeah, we're on all social. So look up Festival Pass and Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok, you name it, we're there. It's slightly different handles in each one, but I'm sure when you search Festival Pass, it will be there. Uh, it's festival underscore pass, on, on uh, sure. unfortunately. So we're, we're waiting for the guy that has Festival Pass itself to, to, to let us buy it.
0: Uh, domain squatters, man. What are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> I will link to that in the companion blog piece. That's on johnofalltrades.us. It's also in the show notes. So if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, anywhere you get your pods, I'm pretty much there. Ed Vincent, this was a real pleasure. I look forward to seeing what you guys come up with. I look forward to hearing more about this NFT, and I wish you nothing but continued success. Awesome. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. And that'll do it for episode 322 of the John of All Trades podcast with Ed Vincent, founder of Festival Pass. Man, what a cool, cool idea. Cool company worth keeping your eye on. And hey, if you want to sign up, he gave you the web address, festivalpass.com. You can find that johnofalltrades.us on the companion blog piece or in the show notes on any of a billion podcatchers. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web. D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us I do all manner of communications and PR. I've been doing this for 15 years. I'm also a podcast producer. In addition to this show, i produced six others. I've got a couple more in the pipeline. I'm looking forward to getting those off the ground. So if you have an idea, if you need some help conceptualizing it, or you need help running it, I'm your guy, defcom.us, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. If you want to hit me up via email, it's John, J-O-N, at defcom.us. Follow me on social media. The handle is J-O-A-T-Pod. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Episode previews go up on Mondays. That's Facebook only. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. No matter what podcatcher you're listening on, hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come directly to you while you're there do us a favor leave us a rating leave us a review leaving a rating takes literally a second leaving a review takes maybe a couple more just drop a note something you like about the show maybe a guest i did it doesn't have to be long but reviews help the show gain exposure i'm out of here for this week the weather is nice where i am i hope it is where you are whatever you're doing take care of yourselves take care of each other i cannot wait to hear you again and until i do say goodnight, crazy